Now, last year, a, a video was circulated of a homeless man in Datford. Uh, this homeless man who was on this video uh, was um, allegedly claiming that um, McDonald's in Datford was preventing him from sitting outside. Uh, when you watch that video, the man says this. He says, McDonald's do not let me sit outside uh, because I am homeless. Uh, they come out and throw buckets of water at me. Uh, or sometimes they just throw it at the, where I'm supposed to sit so that I can't sit there. I am going through all the organizations asking for help. Uh, I have contacted Porchlight. I have contacted the council. I have done House of Mercy. I went there, but the beds were gone. I am not finding any help. Uh, if there's anybody out there who wants to help, please help me. I want to get back on my feet. Please help me. I want to live a normal life. As I watched that video, I thought about the plight of that man. The plight of the man saddened me because I recognize that there is an innocence in all of us, really, to want to live in a loving community. That man is not a machine. He's a human being. And he longs to be welcomed home. He longs to be uh, live in a community where people love him, not reject him, not treat him as dead. And I ask myself, why is that man like that? Why is he longing to be part of a community? And immediately I realized that the longing this man has is an echo. It's an echo from time. It's an echo from Genesis. You see, when God created us in the garden, he created us to live in a loving community. To, to, be, to be loved by others. And for us in turn to love them. Uh, he created us actually in fellowship with God himself. We had a life, in, if you like, free from the ravages of sin. But since sin entered our world in the Garden of Eden, uh, it's become a dog-eat-dog world. We, we have been cut off from God by sin. And as I said this morning, not only cut off vertically, but we are also cut off from one another horizontally. As we look at that man, it saddens us, doesn't it? It saddens us because we realize we are that man. We are just like him. We too, as we sit here this evening, long to be truly welcomed home. We all long to be truly loved unconditionally. We long to be forgiven of all our wrongs we do to others. We don't want to be marginalized and treated as dead. We long to fulfill our God-given potential. We long to, we have hopes, we have dreams. And we long to see those who feel not only just our lives, but also, also in the lives of the loved ones, children that we have. We have these things. We are not different from the homeless man. And the good news of the Bible is that we don't have to keep longing. <laughs> the good news of the Bible is that God is already at work to give us that which we deeply long for. You see, God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He is in Christ creating a new community. A community where we can live with God in peace and with one another. In love with God and love with one another. A community that truly fulfills us. Well, we are currently in Mark, as you know. And the message of Mark, as you've seen, is that God is establishing his kingdom on earth. And he's doing it through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We might say what Jesus is doing is that he's establishing a kingdom and he's seeking to welcome us home to live with him. Uh, Jesus is offering a new life to everyone. He's offering a new life to a homeless man. He's offering a new life to you. He's offering a new life to anyone. Prostitutes, gays, murderers, pedophiles, drug addicts, the rich, the poor, the young, the old, black, white. In this extension, this kingdom is being offered to everyone. To bring sinners home, to transform them, so that they can live with God in love and with one another. And as you sit here this morning, of course, you know about this. Already you've been with us in Mark, so you know about this. And so you're wondering, why does this matter to know this? We know this already. It matters because if you are a follower of Jesus, you are already truly part of this kingdom of God. You are holding in your hands, so to speak, the kingdom of God that the people yearn for. You are part of it. You are already part of this. And you have something the world deeply longs for. And Jesus, if you like, wants you not only to appreciate this truth, but he wants you to share this kingdom, as we saw last week, as we talked about that last week in the morning, with others. So again, as we come to this passage, my task this evening is very, very simple. I first of all just want to remind you how amazing Jesus is. I just want to remind you how amazing Jesus is. You know he's amazing, but I want to remind you from these passages that Jesus is truly amazing. And I want to do this by showing you how Jesus welcomes sinners. And then as you see how Jesus welcomes sinners, for you to then see that you are to welcome Jesus, not as a one-off event, but as an ongoing thing. And you do that by welcoming sinners yourself and taking them to Jesus. So look with me at Mark chapter 2, verse 13. There are just two truths I want to share from this passage, actually. And the, the first straightforward. The first truth is that Jesus welcomes sinners. Jesus welcomes sinners. Let's look at verse 13. Uh, Mark has just told us, as we saw this morning, that about Jesus healing a paralyzed man carried by those four men. And after some time, we don't know the, the, the time between verse 12 and verse 13. But after some time, Jesus heads off to the Sea of Galilee. That, when he says the lake there, he's by, beside the sea. That's where he goes. And Mark uh, is landing us on this scene like a, like a veteran TV reporter, okay? We, if, if we are with Mark, we can see perhaps from his uh, the BBC helicopter there as he's scanning. We can see a large crowd by the sea gathering around Jesus. And we read these words in verse 13. He went out again, that is Jesus, beside the sea. Another crowd was coming to him, that is Jesus, and he was teaching him. So Jesus is out there teaching. And after a bit of teaching, we can see now, through Mark's eyes, Jesus get up. He's getting up, he's going on a walkabout. And behind him, he's got this bustling crowd following him. Uh, he's taking a walk, and you can imagine, just picture him there, with a large crowd walking with Jesus in his work, so to speak. And as he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus stops. And then he notices a man. The man's name is Levi. Let's read verse 14. And, he passed by, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the taxi booth. So he has seen this man, Levi. And he goes over to this man, Levi. 
Now, this Levi is the last person we expect Jesus to talk to. And Levi, as you know, works for the Romans who have colonized Israel at this time. He is their HMRC in Capernaum. It's Levi's job to collect taxes and then give them to the Romans. And the people hate Levi. They hate him not only because Levi is a sellout, they hate Levi because Levi makes his living by overcharging people. We need to understand, as we, some time back we looked at the story of Zacchaeus, is that the tax collectors are really tax farmers. The Romans said how much tax they want to collect, they leave it up to the Levite to raise the amount, uh, the, the tax collectors to raise the amount, and so Levi basically, if it's 100 pounds, so to speak, he pays the Romans 100 pounds, but then he makes money. How does he make money? Not by collecting 100 pounds, but by collecting more than 100 pounds. It's not really a salary. He makes the money off the people. And so the people hate him because he's a seller. This is a, this is a traitor to his own people working with the Romans, and he actually overcharges them. And so we can imagine now that as Jesus is walking up to Levi, he's standing in front of Levi, and the crowd is all behind him. How is Levi, do you think, is feeling now? We can imagine Levi feeling the eyes of the people. He's probably looking down like this. He doesn't want to look up to Jesus. We can imagine him hearing the whispers. People are saying nasty things. Huh? They can't wait for Jesus to have a go at Levi. We can imagine Levi feels very ashamed at this point. He's probably fearing for his life. I mean, you've got a mob there of people who hate you. His stomach must be churning inside. And he's bracing himself for the worst. They just want Jesus to be able to keep walking with the crowd. But Jesus doesn't walk on. Jesus stops and he says this to him. Let's read on verse 14. And he said to him, follow me. And if we are there now with Mark, we can almost hear the gasps from the crowd. They're shocked. But Levi is even more stunned. What is Jesus calling me? A sinner, a traitor to my own people, a rotten sinner. Why is he calling me to join him? Can this really be true? Jesus is asking me to follow him, to become his disciple. It is true. It is true. Amazing grace has come to Levi. Why is that work? And he has found Levi and is calling Levi to enter the kingdom of God. Follow me, Jesus says. Now they say God helps those who help themselves, don't they? But if you know your Bibles, you know the Bible says the opposite. Exactly the opposite. God helps the helpless. Jesus helps the helpless. Sinners who deserve to rot in hell are the people he has come for. You see, Jesus is God who never washes his hands off you, no matter how sinful you are. He loves you and he wants to be with you. Friends, where can you find such a wonderful God like Jesus? Everywhere you must end your way to their affection. Any individual at home, you know, the wife will put you out if you don't behave. Your employer won't tolerate nonsense. In every sphere of life, we must end our way there. And in, many, in all of the religions, in fact, you must end your way to God, except in Jesus. 
He is sensational in His grace. He loves sinners. And He's saying to sinners, follow me. Friends, no wonder Levi does not hesitate. He immediately follows Jesus. Let's read on verse 14. He says, and he arose and did what? Followed him. Again, picture yourself there with Levi. When I picture Levi at this point, I see Levi perhaps with tears. I see him tears to see that God has been so kind to him. Sometimes when I think about how God has been to me, I just break down in tears. And I can see Levi in tears here. And then the tears give in to joy, don't they? The joy is bubbling up as he realizes Jesus has sought me despite all my mess, despite how many times I have just done anything to do with God. He has found me and he has saved me. And that joy makes Levi so excited. In fact, he's so excited that in the book he wrote, the first gospel of Matthew, he tells us that he throws a party for Jesus. The account that says the same thing here. And, 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 and here we have now Mark, so to speak, get crushing us into this party that, 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 that Levi has thrown. And so we are now with Levi. We are now with Mark. We are entering this party Levi has put on for Jesus because he's so happy at what Jesus has done for him. And if we, as we enter this party, that Levi is throwing this bash, he's throwing for Jesus. We, we recognize immediately as we enter through the door, this is a saints and sinners party. This is like the, the saints and sinners club of Capernaum. Because as we enter this, we can see there, we are there the most disgusting people the world has ever known, as far as they are concerned. And we see the, the perfect person who has ever lived right in the middle. The only saint there, Jesus of Nazareth. God himself in the middle, if you like mixing it up with sinners. Look at verse 15. And he, that is Jesus, reclined at a table in his house. That is Levi. Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Again, we must do what we do in Mark, which is we must pause and take this, what is happening here in. As we are walking with Mark in this party, on one side, we can see the tax collectors there, sitting, mixing it up with Jesus. And immediately we realize that these tax collectors, in our time period where we are living now, they would rival porn stars, drug lords, Pedophiles. They are that sort of people. The worst is scum at this time. That's the equivalent you should think of what's going on here. And then in another group, we see a group called sinners. Did you, did you notice that? Jesus was reclined. Is there with tax collectors and sinners. Who are these sinners? Well, the word for sinners, because you already think the tax collectors are sinners. Why are they calling this group sinners? Well, the sinners, when you read the Old Testament the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, you find that the word for the wicked in, in the Psalms is the same word that is used here in the Greek in the New Testament. In other words, these people are not people, if you read the Psalms, you know the wicked in the Psalms, they are not people who just sin and repent, right? The wicked are people that live completely outside the law. If you like, they live flagrantly outside the law. They have no hope uh, of God in the world. 
And we look at that and we're thinking, this is shocking. Jesus is in the middle with such people. We are shocked. But we are not the people who are most shocked about it. There's another group that is even more shocked than us. And this group has also, I don't know, they bundled their way in. They are, maybe they're invited or not. But they have also come. They have come to spy on Jesus. Let's read about them in verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, this is the first time we have met the Pharisees, so it's worth me explaining a few things about them. The Pharisees are a powerful religious group. Uh, The name Pharisees actually means the separate ones. They keep themselves separate. And the Pharisees, we might... (laughs) The Pharisees, we might say they are like an extreme version of the Bible, back to the Bible sect. They want to take everybody back to the Bible, but they're extreme about it. Uh, they were formed just say, 150 years before Christ. They were formed after the Maccabean revolt. And they have grown more powerful than the Essenes, other groups there. They are more powerful than the Sadducees who we meet. They, they have become so powerful that they, they, they really people look to them for everything. They are their own experts. Because you see, the Pharisees not only believe in applying the law of Moses to the letter, they also follow the traditions from their founders. And the key thing you need to know about the Pharisees is that the Pharisees believe that all ritual cleanness mandated by the Old Testament for the priests should be extended to all the people. In other words, they believe everyone should live like a pastor or something like that. And that's their view. That, and if you know, you are. It is a gigantic burden that they place on themselves and everyone they come across. Now they have their arrows here trained at Jesus. They've seen Jesus and they are not happy with what he's doing. They don't like this party. And what I want to do now is to sow doubts in the minds of the disciples. And so we read there, again in verse 16, they're asking the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? We can imagine them, you know, that's a summary, I suspect. And, 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 you know, what they are really saying is to them, to the disciples, is they're going quietly to them. So this Jesus you are following, are you sure he's who he really is? Think about it. Look where you are here in this house. I mean, if Jesus was God, what is he doing here, patting it up with sinners? They are so in doubt. They they want Simon, Andrew, James, John, even Levi to start doubting. Why are they concerned about Jesus eating with these sinners? Well, because you see, they know in this culture, eating is everything. I don't mean that just going to restaurants. I mean, the meal meant much more than how we perhaps even think of it. In, in this culture, to sit down with someone, it means you totally accept them. You welcome them. It is a sacred event. So as I see Jesus sitting down and eating with these greatest sinners of Capernaum, they see that Jesus is actually identifying with them. Jesus, if you like, is saying, Look, these are my sort of people. They are the people I want to hang around with. Not you Pharisees. I want to hang around with these guys. 
And it is a scandal as far as they are concerned. And it's not just a scandal what Jesus is doing, it is very risky. Because as we saw this morning, opposition to Jesus is already growing. It's growing as he forgave the sins of that planet. Now Jesus is out here now patting it up with sinners. He's adding fuel to the flames. And Jesus perhaps should pause, but Jesus is not going to pause here. Because you see, Jesus did not come into this world through a manger just to be stopped by some comment from some Pharisee. No, he's on a mission to save sinners. And as soon as he hears the Pharisees opening their mouth, I imagine Jesus getting up, walking straight there to correct them on this point. Let's read how he speaks to them in verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, look at verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician. They don't need a doctor. But those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Ponder that statement for a minute. And as you're pondering it, first of all, I want you to notice that Jesus here is not denying that the guests are sinners. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus never covers up our sin. No, he exposes the sin for what it is, and then he takes the bullet for us. He's calling a spade a spade. He's saying, yes, you are right, these guys are sinners. But I came for them. Jesus is saying, I know they are sinners and they deserve to rot in hell, but I have come to welcome these very people into my kingdom. He's saying, life with God is not based on following the law. It is by following me. We need to get that. No one ever gets into the kingdom of Jesus by following the law. It is only by following him. He's saying, I have come to do the law for you. I love these sinners, and if they turn to me, I will heal them from the sickness of sin. Then they can live lives that are obedient before God. I have come to take away their spiritual uncleanness, to do away with. Beloved, we need to understand this point. It is radical. It is not how they thought about it. They thought, look, I've got to become acceptable before God accepts me. Jesus is saying, no, my accepting and love of a sinner is prior to them accepting me. You are saved by grace. And that's what we mean. Jesus accepts you first. He loves you first while you are outside the boundary. And then he brings you in by his love. And we can trust that Jesus means what he says in verse 17, isn't it? Because his welcome of sinners in verse 17, when he says this, this is what he says in verse 17 again. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you are a sinner, you qualify. If you are a sinner, I'm for you. And we can trust that Jesus means it when he says this. Why? Because what Jesus is doing here, he's pointing us forward to the cross. Later on, he would die in Jerusalem to welcome sinners on the cross. You see, in Jerusalem, Jesus is betrayed by sinners. He is mocked by sinners. He is flogged by sinners. And his bleeding body is nailed to the cross by sinners. If you on that cross, Jesus is crucified among sinners. 
On that cross, Jesus dies, not just among sinners, but for all sinners who put their faith in him. He's a savior of sinners. Every blow of the hammer against the nails piercing the hands of Jesus. On that cross, he's for you. That, that piercing of the nail is Jesus welcoming you to his kingdom. Every mockery at Jesus from the crowd as he's hanging there on the cross, as Jesus endures the mockery there for you. He's doing it for you. Jesus is taking on your shame as he welcomes you to himself. This is what Jesus has come for. Sensational grace. He has come to welcome sinners home. Let's read verse 17 again. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to go. We might even say, I came not to die, so to speak, for the righteous, but for sinners. And the question all of us have to start off with this evening is simply this. Have you welcomed this Jesus? Are you welcoming him even now? Because you see, as we read this passage, we realize that the core of Levi, friends, is not only recorded to show us that Jesus welcomes sinners, but it's to show us that we, in turn, must welcome Jesus. And that's the second truth we learn here, isn't it? First, truth number one, Jesus welcomes sinners. Truth number two is that therefore, we in turn, sinners, must welcome Jesus. So let's rewind uh, the report by Mark, uh, this excellent TV report. Let's rewind it back to verse 14 to see how we welcome Jesus. Notice there when Jesus calls Levi, notice how Levi responds to Jesus. Look at verse 14. Jesus says this, well, Mark says this, and he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, this is verse 14, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. We've seen this scene before, haven't we? From verse 16 to verse 20 of chapter 1, as Jesus there called Simon, James, Andrew, and John. We've seen that Levi is doing the same thing. As Jesus calls him, he turns his back on his old life. He denies himself and surrenders all to Jesus. The direction of his life is not perfect yet. He's not perfect at all. But the direction of his life has changed now. He's now following Jesus, just like Simon and others have done. And we know he's walking in a new state with Jesus because in time we're going to see Levi become known as, by his other name, Matthew, more commonly known as Matthew. And we know, as I said, he will write an account of Jesus, the first book. Because his life has been transformed, we think that his brother James, James of Alphaeus, also becomes a follower of Jesus. You see, some people, friends, tell us that we, we must distinguish between accepting Jesus as Savior and accepting Jesus as Lord. But there is no such distinction in the Bible. None. There is none. And it's obvious, if all you had was a gospel of Mark, you will understand what it means to be a believer. Because first of all, in Mark we learn Jesus is king. And as we see these disciples, these, these four, five guys so far now recruited, as we're seeing these first Christians... 
we are beginning to understand that for them, following Jesus meant submitting to him as our Lord and King. To them, it meant that Jesus becoming our life. That is what a Christian is. One who has surrendered to Jesus. One who has truly bowed the knee to Jesus. As Levi is doing. So it's not a question of you can have Jesus and you say that and then not later. No. You accept him as your king. I mean, we might even say let's dispense with the titles. Let's just talk about what Jesus has come to do to establish his kingdom. His king. Are you either bowing the knee to him or not? And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is this. Have you welcomed Jesus in your life like that? Have you bowed the knee to Christ? Have you surrendered your life truly to him? As a church, we have to ask this question of our members. The Lord is blessing us with a few members here and there. But we have to ask ourselves, are we a church made up of members that have truly bowed the knee? It's your responsibility as members to take that question seriously. Because God will hold you to account for it. If you build a membership that is composed of people who have not genuinely bowed them. Now, now we're not saying that people become perfect. Not, none of that. We're saying there must be a change in the direction. Justification happens, then sanctification, isn't it? But there can be no sanctification if there's no genuine justification. And so we are saying people must change direction. 180 degrees, which Jesus himself does. Remember, he accepts us as sinners and then he transforms us. So we have to ask this question of ourselves and of members that we have. And we have to be aware of this as we share Christ to the world. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. is one who has truly bowed the knee to Christ. And once we accept Jesus... Like this, once we, 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 we surrender to him, we, something else happens as evidence. We now embrace the mission of Jesus to welcome sinners. We start welcoming sinners for Jesus like Levi is doing. Look at verse 15. It says this in verse 15, which we read, and, the, and he, that is Jesus, reclined at, at a table in, in Levi's house, so to speak. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. And his disciples. For there were many who followed him. You see what's happened to Levi. Is that the heavy burden of sin. Has been lifted by Jesus. From Levi's back. And Levi now carries the burden of Jesus. Of welcoming sinners. The yoke of slavery to sin has gone. Now the new light yoke. Of a passion to serve sinners. Is now burning. On Levi's back. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then Jesus is saying to you, take me to your friends. Take me to your friends. And take me to people who would never dream of church. Are you truly converted, Jesus is saying? Then take me to the people who are rejected by society. Take me to that homeless man you avoid on, the, on your way to work. Take me to the benefit scroungers who live on your street. Take me to the old friend who is now perhaps into drugs. I have good news for her. Jesus is saying, take me to the gay colleague at the office. 
that you are working so hard to avoid because you just don't know where to start with. And Jesus is saying, look, take me to your home. Allow me to use your room to invite people who would never set foot in your house. Do what Levi has done. He has opened the gates for me to enter in. That's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying this is what a disciple looks like. Jesus is saying, take me to your home. Help me invite people in the fellowship that are on the fringe so that you can share the gospel with them. Let me number one on your diary. Ensure that I write my name on there so that the next person you meet will be a person you can share Christ with during the week. And he's asking each one of us, he's asking me, he's asking you, if you're truly converted, he's saying, are you willing to take me in? Are you willing to do what Levi has done? Well, if we are truly welcome Jesus, if we, if, we, if we can identify with point number one, that Jesus welcomes sinners and we've been welcomed by him, then there's not, the only answer we can give to our Lord who we love so much is yes, Lord. Yes. It's hard, but I want to do it. Help me do it. I believe, help my unbelief in this area. And you must do that because we cannot point sinners to Jesus unless we spend time with them. You, you cannot share the gospel with your neighbor who you never invite into your home. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, I want to do this. If you are generally converted, that will be your response. I want to do it. It's hard, but I want to do it. And Lord, help me to do it. And you're probably saying to yourself, I want to do this, but you have a different question. How close should I really get to a non-believer? It's a question we've debated many times during Bible studies. Achola, are you saying I should spend more time with a friend who has loose morals? What if I become like them? Does bad, doesn't the Bible say bad company corrupts good morals? I think it's a valid question, it's an important question, and if you're seeking to obey the Lord, you must ask such questions. And I was so thankful when I read this passage because I asked the passages normally honest questions, and it answered it for me. Because in here we see Jesus give us two pieces of wisdom on how we should engage with all sinners. And I want to end here by just sharing them with you. First, we learn from this story that we must, to engage with sinners on the margin, we must follow Jesus' lead. That's point number Follow Jesus' lead. I, I'm impressed as I look at Levi here because I see that Levi is just a host. No word from Levi at the party. He's just hosting Jesus. And as I look at Levi's life, I'm thinking, that's a picture, isn't it, of how I'm supposed to share Jesus. I must get out of the way. Jesus must do the talking, which means I must know his word. I must keep my eyes on him. I must pray. I must be a person who's into Jesus and let Jesus lead. This is a very important point, friends. If your work with Jesus is not up to date, you can't share him. You can't share him. First of all, you want a passion to share him, but even if you somehow you, the Holy Spirit gave you passion, it's going to be dangerous for you. Because you see, if you're not reading and praying and you're out there sharing Jesus, you may end up dishonoring Jesus. Friends, how many pastors have gone into ministry and have shipwrecked and dishonored the name of Christ? Because their work with Christ was not up to date. They wanted to share him, but they didn't know him in secret. 
And what's the same for pastors is the same for ordinary believers. I once said to you, don't evangelize if you're not in secret having a deep fellowship with Christ. It's dangerous for your soul. Because in evangelism, you're stepping into enemy territory. You must have the whole hammer of God on. You must know Jesus in secret. So your walk with Christ must be up to date. So that people can see Christ in you, even before you share a word with them. So that's the first thing I learned from this, from my own, for myself. This is a lesson for myself. I must follow Jesus' lead. Secondly, we must share Jesus like Jesus. <laughs> okay, we must share Jesus like Jesus. And notice here that Jesus has not come to Levi's party alone. I was so touched by that. He has brought his faithful disciples. There's small things when we read the gospel. And we, as I ask you, read, the, read, read Mark slowly. And as you read Mark slowly, you note some interesting things. Sinners were reclining, in verse 15, with Jesus and his disciples. Now, Jesus, humanly speaking, of course, is a perfect man. So he can go anywhere. And he's God as well. So you might think, why does Jesus need Peter, Simon, and you know, Simon and, and, and James, John? But Jesus is laying down a principle for us. He's saying, we, even in his humanity, he needed support. He needed accountability. The point I'm making here is that the deeper we go into enemy territory to share Christ, the more we need to be accountable to one another. The, this is very important. And so if I was to summarize these two points, we must follow Jesus' lead and we must share Jesus like, like Jesus. Then he's leading us to say, look, friends, look, if we go into the world, we need brothers and sisters with us to be praying for us. If you're sharing the gospel to someone who's on the margin of society, you will need support, you need accountability. Look, I would say to husbands, it's straightforward. The Lord has placed a burden on your heart to share to, to someone perhaps from your past, don't go. <laughs> Send your wife if she's a woman. It's that simple. There, there's, there's common sense to be applied here. Accountability is important, and it's important to do it with the support of people around us. So to wrap this two points, I'll simply say, you, if you're worried about being contaminated by the world, then I say increase your spiritual vaccine. That is Jesus of Nazareth. And go and get support from brothers and sisters in the fellowship to stand with you as you share Christ. And the bottom line is that when it comes to sharing Jesus, as I conclude, is simply this. There's no Brexit. And no one is excluded from sharing Christ. There's no opt-out. You have to share him. And that sounds legalistic, but No. Remember, we must share him because Jesus welcomes us first. And by welcomes us first, we welcome other sinners. And the way we do that is we share him if we truly belong to him. So my encouragement this evening is that whatever your situation, if you have truly been welcomed by Jesus, you must welcome Jesus by taking him to all sinners. Jesus welcomes sinners and saved sinners welcome Jesus. Amen. Let's come to God.